Welcome to CSG Politics. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, since obviously there's some pretty heavy restrictions right now going on in Denver, um, going to a location and actually going and enjoying things is very hard. Uh, indoor dining is not allowed, uh, but Blanchard does have outdoor uh, seating in the uh, dairy block, but obviously it is, you know, the end of November as of this recording, it's going to be very difficult. So <clears throat> they have other options available. Uh, if you're like me and you like 2017 Cabernet, um, go to bfwdenver.com and just select your wine and they'll have it delivered to you. If you're in Denver, they'll deliver it to you. Or if you're out of state, uh, they will have it shipped to you. It's really easy. Um, and I highly suggest you do it. They also do have a virtual wine tasting, which is um, basically one of the best things that, uh, that, that, that they have done. Uh, during, when quarantine and lockdown first started in March, uh, it, people were just going nuts over that. And it was very popular, but you got to book that thing. And it's sometimes months ahead of time. So go there now if you want to book it in. Um, once again, they're located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Moisee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. When you go in, oh, actually, before I get to finish that, they also are on Facebook and Instagram under Blanche Family Wise. Anyway, when you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSU Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining us on the latest uh, CSU Politics. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton, and sitting across from me, well, not really across from me, but across from me at the, uh, basically the other side of Denver, is my friend and your friend and the co-host of this show, Mr. Pat Guerin. Hello, Pat. Good day, sir. Hello to you. Great to be here on a fine, on a fine day. It's a crisp morning. A crisp morning. It is indeed. <laughs> Closing um, out the November uh, season. Yes, yes, and I think uh, I think we all um, <clears throat> I think we all like went through the holidays. I mean, uh, I was socially distant. Well, maybe, maybe we can uh, we can talk about that. To start off. I mean, were you? Uh, how was your Thanksgiving? Did you? Uh, were you? Uh, were you one of the many like me who were just with your immediate family and no no one outside your your immediate realm? Thing? Yes, I am one of those that uh, struggled to find the smallest turkey possible because uh, cooking, a, you know, a 14 pound bird, which was the smallest I could find uh, for, uh, you know, two and a half people <laughs> was um, <laughs> was sort of an exercise in gluttony. Yeah. But uh, yep, stay, stayed home, uh, stayed home with the family, um, was intended to travel, um, really went uh, back and forth with... Uh, with my wife and, and in my own mind about uh, what the prudent thing to do and whether we could travel while following all sorts of, um, you know, procedures to maximize safety. But uh, in the interest of um, uh, sort of uh, honesty, <laughs> um, I felt that uh, it was best to just uh, stay home, not take chances. Um, 
mostly for out of consideration for you know other people uh, my family uh, extended family and also uh, my community so um that made it an easy choice so uh you know made a couple of pies made a traditional sort of thanksgiving deal and and didn't have the stress of traveling and such so while it'll stand out as an anomaly of uh of holidays hopefully um made the most of it and mm -hmm. uh you know yeah. uh thankful for the opportunity to do it and also uh to be here with you well uh we uh, i i ended up uh, uh cooking a roast uh and i have this because of obviously I've as people know who listen to CSG for you know the last four years I've been on a pretty strict diet and um, I can't have the usual things that go with Thanksgiving so there's not like uh, because basically when I think of Thanksgiving I think of carbs and uh, <laughs> I can't, other than turkey and I can't have any of that stuff so I just made uh, what's called a Mississippi pot roast are you familiar with that uh, I am not, but I, okay. uh, I want to learn about it. Okay, but it is like, if you hear it, you're like, like, oh my God, this is awful. What are you doing to that pot roast? But it's actually very good. Um, it is, uh, you know, you put it in a slow cooker. Uh, you get uh, you get yourself some pepperoncinis and kind of, they're whole ones, and you kind of just put it around them, you know. You cover it with au jus and, uh, believe it or not, pre, uh, like the, 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 the powder of ranch, ranch dressing mm -hmm. and then uh, you add some butter in it put it in for eight hours and it it's it's one of the best roasts i've ever had i it, it's oh, awesome it's somehow that combination of flavors works well you got your moisture you got your flavoring you got your slow low and slow yeah. what else could you ask for you know, yeah. i spend a lot of time uh railing on america's southern states when we do our politics talk but uh as far as their cuisine i i hold it in high esteem so Shout out to uh, David David Hudson, uh, one of our CSU podcast listeners who is located in Mississippi. Um, and uh, David uh, uh, was uh, kind enough to be, you know, tell us that he listens to this uh, podcast a lot. And I appreciate that, uh, David. Shout out to you. If you want to shout out on the podcast, um, go ahead and send us a message and I'll, uh, I'll definitely give you a shout out because uh, Pat and I actually really enjoy doing this because um, this is the shit that we talk about literally every day so it's just a natural all, extension to do this and i'm always blown away that people listen to what we say so that's uh, a validation that uh that carries me through each week right when we hear from uh, our listeners all right and i i'm uh i'm uh privileged to have been able to do this for 11 years not 11 years 10 years um as of 10 years as of uh november like this month wow Anyway, uh, <laughs> my concept of time. Decade of Mortcasting. Yes, yeah, a decade of Mortcasting. And, uh, but I'm always stunned when people, I find out that people listen to me. So, because sure as heck, uh, uh, that hasn't been the history of things uh, prior to me having a podcast. So, uh, <laughs> in your personal life, people don't listen to you, yeah, but uh, strangers exactly. find you very insightful. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, this is, once, once again, this is CSU Politics and, uh, um, Kind of, we're going to do a news wrap up here of uh, things that have happened since we last did our politics show. Um, it, it basically, it's been a a. Um, I, I, I'm. Are you? I don't know if you like you like all the real, um, post election bullshit that has been happening with Donald Trump. I mean, it's just been an endless, monotonous series of defeats for him, and it's hard to just cover 
one news item from that amalgamation of, of horrors because it's all the same shit, basically. I've been swearing a lot this morning. I'm sorry. But that, that's basically what been and what it is. And it's so, but can we just kind of do an overview of what we've seen so far from the, uh, this week in the election? Sure. I mean, for, to a, at, on a certain level, um, it's all just become so pathetic, like objectively pathetic. Like when you lose and the game is over, you carry on, find a way to have some dignity and right. move forward. Right. But to this very morning, we were talking about it before the show. <clears throat> Donald Trump is on Fox News insisting that the election was stolen, insisting that uh, was you know that he was cheated, that he's never going to accept, and on and on and on. And for me at this point, you know, for the, in the ensuing days after the election, I was annoyed, I was angry, I was incredulous that this sort of talking point would be coming from a person who had the privilege of serving in the highest office in the land. Right. Um, but now it's just such a sorry sack display, you know? I mean, if mm -hmm. you've ever known anyone that you beat in hoops or that you beat in chess and they just couldn't accept it and, and everybody watched them throw a temper tantrum and just was embarrassed for them, right. I can't understand how everyone isn't collectively feeling for that. I have been on the losing side of so many things. And even if we just talk about politics, like I've worked for campaigns, I've been passionate about candidates and they've lost and it's heartbreaking. And I spend like less than 90 seconds thinking like, well, what if we do a recount? What if there's some anomalies? What if a dictator that's been deceased for seven years conspired with a uh, member of this Republican Party to throw an election in a state? And then I let those things go and I say, okay, how are we going to move forward and try to make this workable for our society, our democracy, our way of life? Uh, that is a measure of uh, thoughtfulness that is not occurring and is becoming laughable, as I, as I keep saying. So, um, there's a great uh, sort of TikTok in the Washington Post this morning that goes through the last three weeks of what was going on inside the White House and whatnot. And, you know, when you start letting the crackpots be the ones that listen to you because they're propping up your insane way of thinking, then all bets are off. And right. so I think they're up to uh, uh, 40 lawsuits, uh, legal challenges that have been adjudicated um, in various courts across the country. Mm -hmm. um, and they're one in 39. And the one was like innocuous. It was like, I think it was on election day or something where they were allowed to not be 10 feet away. They could be six feet away. So they got a judge to say that, but every other thing, when it comes to uh, actual vote counting, canvassing, certifying, accepting votes, accepting them postmarked and after election day, blah, 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 all have been defeated um, mm -hmm. and, re and resoundingly so. So yeah. I no longer have any fear. I know that on January 20th, Joe Biden's going to be the president and then there'll be a whole new host of challenges and, and things uh, to discuss and to um to look forward to and also to, you know, be uh, concerned about. But uh, in the in intervening weeks, it's just going to be more of this just sorry sack pathetic behavior from Trump and his enablers who are actually even more, in my opinion, insidious, this legal team led by Rudy Giuliani and uh, some of the extreme sycophants that used to just be confined to the House of Representatives, but are now very well represented in the U.S. Senate, um, you know, are going to continue to have... Uh, their ridiculous talking points and no doubt this is going to make it harder to govern for joe biden and and uh whatnot but that's always part of the plan you know um well, for I, uh for the gop well they and, and I, you pointed out this to me and i um and i think it, it's worth reiterating that it's just going to be a hellscape of pettiness until we get to 
well, at least the when the electoral college votes within two weeks, and I, I, I at the at this point I have kind of tuned it out because I don't know what he can do. I mean, now obviously there's governmental things that he's probably messing with right now, which is going to make it harder for Joe Biden when he comes in. But I'm, I mean, in all honesty. Um, I've kind of moved my attention to other things like the coronavirus, which is at this point, you know, um, uh, once you're past that, you're like, oh, my God, people are still traveling for Thanksgiving, uh, going to airports. And that was a big story this week was the what was it? Forty million people um, traveled either by by uh, car or by uh, uh, plane. This I mean, which is down, believe it or not, a lot from where it usually is. But. Including the mayor of Denver, who uh, repeatedly implored everyone to stay home, uh, moved us back to like the most extreme or just shy of the extreme extreme and shutting uh, down the city and the surrounding areas with no more indoor indoor dining, you know, extreme limits on gatherings and whatnot. And then uh, some random person finds him at the airport, you know, the day before Thanksgiving and and lets the local news channels know about it. And it becomes a sensational story. You know, uh, this sort of hypocrisy in, um, in government is not exclusive to one political party. Um, there is a level of entitlement that uh, you see in the type of people that seek uh, elected yeah. office. It's what drives them to it. Uh, and it, and it takes them right on in uh, through their terms, typically. Um, but uh, the idea that the optics of something like that, um, well, you know, you're here rightly saying, hey, you know, 40 million people ignored the guidance of the government. Uh, and, uh, and my argument to that is like, our problem is throughout this whole coronavirus situation is we haven't had good leadership on it, whomever that is. Um, you know, the president hasn't been a leader on it. And then he's actively sort of pushed back against the governors, taunting them when they would do lockdowns or uh, restrictions, um, having even, you know, the archdiocese of, of New York going to the Supreme Court and to say that they shouldn't be allowed to limit um, in-person worship. And then uh, you have the likes of Gavin Newsom, uh, the governor of California, and then Michael Hancock, the mayor of Denver, who are out there imploring us to, you know, use our judgment and help get this thing under control. And then, you know, they go and have a, a large dinner at the French Laundry. It's, uh, it's baffling. It, it, you know, it's one of the most amazing things, because this kind of ties into our governor, uh, Jared Polis, uh, announcing today he was uh, uh, tested positive for uh, COVID. And uh, obviously, I wish him and his partner very well, uh, and, and their kids. But I, I I think that it kind of goes to a a disconnect here. I was infuriated when I found out that Michael Hancock traveled. Infuriated. I know you because, were because uh, because it 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 undermined everything, the messaging, and it's like how can you be so stupid? Then I realized this is Michael Hancock, who is not known for great decision making, and and it is in tenure as Denver mayor. And I'm going to be completely blunt about that. And um, I, it, it's kind of this imperviousness to consequence that you think that, well, even if I get caught, I'm going to re- release a bullshit statement. And it, the, the statement he released after he was exposed was like, I'm sorry, you're angry at me, was, was infuriating too. So he came back. He's actually back in Denver now quarantining. And um, he's had to do the rounds on the local TV stations. Um, talking about how sorry he is which is like are you are you sorry did you well, do you understand what this did you know 
And, and the, pro the thing about this, Morty, and this underscores a common theme that I discuss almost every week, is the asymmetry in the game of, of partisan politics. Because So if the governor of South Dakota is watching her state have one of the biggest outbreaks of coronavirus in the country, and then she's traveling to New Hampshire regularly or, or uh, for like political reasons and all that's to talk about maybe running for president in 2024, which I promise not to talk about 2024 for as long as possible. But anyway, that receives a lot of outcry from the political left. The, the Democrats are like, you're, be, you're not being smart. You're not listening to the doctors. You're setting a bad example. And as you, the proof is in the pudding, your state's in the shitter. Mm -hmm. When a Democrat does it, when the mayor of Denver, when the governor of California does it, it gives fodder to both sides now. Now, the Democrats are like, how stupid are you? That's so hypocritical, as you so eloquently articulated moments ago. But then the Republicans are like, see, you guys are all just a bunch of hypocrites, and no one should ever listen to your bullshit anyway. Right. You know? So there's an imbalance in the, in the way that, in which it's done. It's almost like, you know, you, you you have to hold, as a, a Democrat, a representative of democratic values and positions of leadership, you have to go above and beyond to demonstrate that you're following your own guidance yeah. um, because otherwise you're going to get pummeled from both sides and your side is the loser, you know, and that is where the problem is. So there's no, there's very little political risk for Donald Trump to go around the country and have these super spreader rallies and, and go on because all of the red hat wearing um, <clears throat> supporters of his, they're attending these things, some of which do correct contract coronavirus there and ultimately die ironically yeah. um they do not hold him politically accountable but uh a democrat doing the same will be held accountable both by democrats and then by republicans which is another reason to you know tie this back into national politics where you know joe biden proved to be very smart in his political calculation of how he ran his campaign yeah. of having limited rallies, having limited engagement, you know, not doing as much of the person to person, face to face sort of thing that is textbook in, uh, in grassroots campaigning that Barack Obama used to, to, to such brilliance to, um, to win two elections by significant margins. So, you know, there's an example of where doing the right thing ended up being right, both politically and also, in response to the coronavirus, um, but he doesn't get any credit for that because that's what's expected of him. If Donald Trump were to be like, hey, we're gonna pull back these rallies because too many people are getting sick and we really need to focus on the coronavirus, he would have got credit from both sides. You well, know? You, you remember, by you not remember doing that, so, he doesn't yeah. suffer. You remember that TikTok uh, article that, uh, and when, uh, when we say TikTok, we're not talking about the, the app that teenagers use, we're talking about we're talking about a, a, a progression of time of like uh, the, insider accounting of something right. like that happened that we knew about what was happening on the outside, but what was happening like step-by-step step behind the scenes yeah. are what I, what I live for in politics. I well, will yeah. read any book that is a TikTok of an election or uh, these great articles that are coming out um, from the Washington Post and then the New York Times and others. Well, you read the one in Politico, the scenes. right? You read the one in Politico yes, yes. Uh, right after the election, or uh, right after Joe Biden was deemed the uh, the you know certified, not certified, but the uh, the the projected winner. All were made. On it. It, I yeah. believe that day lives in infamy as the um, 
the uh, Four Seasons Total Landscaping Day. That yes. uh, news came yes. out while Rudy Giuliani was standing in front of the uh, Four Seasons Total Landscaping. And also, I'll point out just as an aside because I love it. Um, every time that comes up in a newspaper article, it's followed by the sentence sandwiched between an adult bookstore <laughs> or sex shop and, and across the street from a crematorium. <laughs> that was in the Washington Post article this morning. That is going to be associated with that discussion forever. It will. And it's so amazing. I, I, but that article pointed out, and I think unfairly, because sometimes these TikTok articles, they talk to people who were like, well, I told them to do this. And, mm. um, and, and that's why you, yeah. And that's where they hammer, we're kind of hammering Joe Biden for not doing what you were talking about, which was going, do the door to door thing, going out, doing all that. When, you know, look, if he had not done that, if he hadn't pre, practiced what he preached the level of hammering he would have got from both the left and the right would have been enormous he handled that absolutely perfectly and oh yeah um, it, there's no way he could have done it any other way, other way right it would have opened the door for the tim rustard and the flip-flops and mitt romney on meet the press type moment where it's like you know they're going to be they're going to confront somebody like joe biden and because he's a classic politician um you know in the traditional sense of those that we've had run for office uh at least in our lifetime um he would have you know had to try to address it would have been weaselly and it would have been a, a meme type thing you know he avoided those unforced errors you know like right. hillary's comment about the deplorables uh dragged her down for the whole rest of that election um barack obama's discussion about cling to your guns and religion um which while taken out of context, not totally fair, um, really gave um, people something to beat him over the head with. Um, I think he's still uh, annoyed by that. And, um, <laughs> you know, Trump is immune to those things because he just like, he doesn't even speak in complete sentences and complete thoughts. So oh, yeah, whenever right. he starts uh, running his mouth, um, nobody holds him accountable. I mean, he's held accountable. There's, you know, people on Twitter that'll be like, oh, there was, you know, 87 lies and that's then and that 90 minute discussion. Um, but the asymmetry remains and uh it's just a fact of uh the way the parties are currently and you know whether there's a path back from that or not who knows but um there are still ways to win elections within that framework and one of them is to not be blatantly hypocritical as uh the mayor of the capital city of uh, the great state of colorado was uh for the holiday weekend well i mean and uh, i think we'll wrap it up on this on, on at least the first segment on this because i i i don't think we and I don't, I wasn't prepared for that, even though I know Michael Hancock and we all like look askance sometimes at Michael Hancock. And this is a very local thing, by the way, for the people who are in other states listening to this thing. But all like, politics it, is local. Maybe. Yes, it's exactly. All politics is local. But we, uh, it was such a moment of hypocrisy that was, at first I was infuriated, but then I was like, what did I expect? I, I it, Michael Hancock has been a guy that has tried to get ahead of Jared Polis when there was a big announcement at the state that he would be like, no, 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 Denver's doing it first. So he'll get out there and do a press conference right before Polis does saying like, well, Denver's, Denver's out ahead of this, you know, sort of thing. And he's, he's just that kind of guy. When you in reality think about this, and, I, and as, as you all were listening and Pat can tell right now, I'm still pissed off about it. But if he had just say like if there was a family member in the city of Denver that he traveled to, no one would have been aware that he did it. No one would have known. But he went to the airport and was like 
I, I can't even say sneaky. He's just he just went to the airport kind of brazenly flouting his right after he tweeted, stay home. 30 minutes <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> right after. I so, like, I mean, there's a deliberation doing? there that is just like mind blowing. Like, you know, you don't even try to like charter a plane out of a smaller airport or wear a disguise. I don't know, something. But you're literally typing something on your phone to tell people not to do something that you're actively doing, you know. Um, yes, that no one has a, uh, <laughs> has a full claim to hypocrisy in politics. It certainly cuts a wide swath. It does. It does. Okay, well, we're going to take a break and uh, come back with the DraftKings read, and we're going to actually kind of go over things. We are a little post-Thanksgiving, what we are thankful for in politics. We'll be right back. Right now. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, okay, now we've, uh, I decided to uh, provide us with a little more U2 coming back from the break. So uh, just, just, for, just for Pat here. Just for Pat. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's, now it's time to talk to you about DraftKings before we get started on the rest of the, uh, of the, uh, of the, uh, of the thing. So we now, like, things are a lot of up in the air. Now, this is a little quick segue to sports here, but um, say like if you bet uh, you got locked your line in on the Denver Broncos prior to yesterday, um, you may be hating life right now because uh, they they took the uh, they took the off the board once the Broncos like it, it came out that the Broncos have no quarterbacks coming into today. They have literally no quarterbacks, so the line went from what was it four and a half to fourteen and a half something like that, and it was yeah, insane. Insane, and obviously that is off the board. But now, look, that still doesn't that, that you know, doesn't mean that you can't get in on all the action and get yourself or, locked, and locked in on something good on one of these other NFL games, right? Or if you're sitting on the Saints at minus four and a half, you're feeling great, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you're betting on the Broncos, you're really hating life. Like yeah, what, what are you doing anyway? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, we we've had these uh, conversations with um, Pat here before about uh, the different aspects of DraftKings uh, Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, um, about the the different things that you could take advantage of while you were betting. Um, do you find, like personally, that the 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 you know, you've talked about the live betting, but is it like, do you enjoy the prop bet aspect of it, like the individual player um, uh, uh, betting and stuff like that, or is it yeah. the whole a whole thing? It's just the options are great. I mean, the, the nice thing about the prop betting, uh, you know, professional gamblers will tell you parlays and props and all these are just like, you know, fool's errands. And they're right. But uh, as far as, you know, a casual gambler, somebody's just looking to have a little fun. It's like uh, you look at this, the statistics and you're like, OK, will um, Patrick Mahomes have over under two and a half touchdowns? You know, and if you are thinking like, hey, this guy's going to go out there and light the field up, then 
throwing a couple of shekels there on the over is uh, is a fun way to enjoy that game. And you know, you, the best part about winning uh, betting the over and anything is that you're always in it. You know, they could they could do it at halftime or it could end up going to overtime, and you that extra time gets you to go over. Uh, the other thing I love and that they do on DraftKings though, especially like on Monday night games and and things like that, is uh, you know when there's like one game and everybody's watching is you can bet on who's going to score the first touchdown. And usually those odds could be crazy. Like like I promise you, um, you know in uh, in the game tonight, um, the I think it's the Buccaneers and the Chiefs. They play later today. I don't know if it's tonight, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, you know you could take Tom Brady to score the first touchdown and get get it at like plus twelve hundred, which means you know ten dollars pays one hundred and twenty because he doesn't score a lot of touchdowns. But there is a, a scenario where they get down to the goal line and and call a quarterback sneak and he punches it in and you've just gotten you know um 12 times your money and uh DraftKings offers insurance on those things there where you you got to click the little button at the top to opt in but right. then um you get if they score a touchdown at all in the game you get your bet back so now you've mitigated your risk in in a significant way where it's like you know oh I think Patrick Mahomes is definitely going to run for a touchdown I hope it's the first one. I'm going to bet that he's going to be the first touchdown scorer of the game. If so, I get great odds. I win big money, and I'm building my bankroll. If not, and he just scores at any time during that game, then it costs me nothing, you know? So. Well, it's interesting you say that, Pat, because uh, DraftKings, uh, on, in the write-up here, wants me to talk about getting those bets insured. Um, hmm. The holiday season is in full swing. Yes, it is. Uh, it's just, you know, festive season, even in uh, pandemic. Uh, so it's the pandemic holidays. Um, uh, and professional collegiate uh, football seasons entering the playoff are entering the playoff push. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app, uh, wants you to be center- in the center of the action. If you haven't tried it yet, head on over to the App Store now uh, because you don't want to miss what DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. To celebrate Sunday's action, which is today, DraftKings is insuring, all- insuring right, what uh, Pat was just talking about. All new customers are covered up to $100. That's right. You bet. They cover uh, with risk-free Sunday betting on all of Sunday's action. Um, That is, I've heard from countless people who love that aspect of it because it mitigates mitigates risk, which if you're like me and you don't gamble yourself, um, having something that because you're risk-averse, something like that, is really helpful. don't miss out on Sunday's, uh, today's pivotal uh, matchup between bitter divisional division rivals. So get on on all the action now. On top of that, great sign-up offer. DraftKings uh, Sportsbook has special odds, boosts, and promotions every day of the week. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right. New customers can bet this Sunday risk-free up to $100 when you use promo code MHS during sign-up. Uh, for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, must be 21 or older and must be physically located in Colorado. There's a new addendum here. Risk-free coverage, paid out in-site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay. And also on just on that note, Morty. Uh, yeah. Yes, you do have to be physically in Colorado to uh, to to use these apps. They do check your location, or one of the other numerous states that have recently allowed sports gambling. So right, right. Um, I'm not a lawyer, and I don't want to get involved with uh, the DraftKings lawyers who make that statement. But uh, you know, if you're in Illinois, if you're in uh, New Jersey, or in any of these countless other states that have recently allowed sports betting, then uh, DraftKings is available to you. Right. 
And uh, look, if you if you look at if you hear, and this is I know this is a politics show, but you know, y'all can fast forward through this if <laughs> if you don't want to hear it. But there is a uh, gambling has exploded exploded here. Uh, sports betting uh, has exploded here in Colorado, despite the pandemic. People are like getting their getting their betting on, despite the fact that there's there's they're stuck at home and there's the employment situations out here in the state are are not you know consistent. Well, and ironically, to bring it back to the politics aspect of it, I mean, sports betting was approved by a referendum, as many of things are in the state of Colorado. Uh, you get enough signatures, it goes on the ballot, and then people vote for it. I believe that the campaign for sports betting was uh, that the money would be going to for various environmental um, uh, causes, mainly protection of watersheds and things like that. So it passed very narrowly, and then it became legal in, uh, I believe, May, when there were no sports. No right. sports. As you recall, we had a long run uh, before Major League Baseball and the NBA and NHL came back in uh, in late summer. So, um, as with many things, it's like, oh, great, you can uh, sports betting is available now. So tune in to, uh, I think there was some Korean baseball, uh, mm-hmm. there was table table tennis, and a few other items. Golf. Um, but golf, of course, yes, I actually uh, did a DraftKings bet on uh, old friend Peyton Manning uh, uh, oh, when, he was, when he was uh, playing golf with Tiger Woods against Phil Nicholson <laughs> and, and Tom Brady. Uh, so, you know, that was good times. But anyway, so what? To uh, show. What uh, we just came off of Thanksgiving. What um, we've kind of like talked about this beforehand, but I mean, like, and, and since this was, uh, this was, uh, came from your brain there, Pat. Mm-hmm. What are you what are you thankful for in politics? Is there something that you have um obviously it's easy to be cynical about politics because I think it's it's a, in its nature adversarial. But what are you uh what are you thankful for coming into this uh weirdest of holiday season? Okay, well, I'm glad you asked. Um and of course we'd be remiss if we just didn't say that I'm thankful for like the general infrastructure of our society that is like holding in spite of all the pressure put upon it. And and I'm specifically talking about people that are working in uh, the medical field that are continuing to uh, operate in the most extreme of circumstances. The contrast between those people being told stay home, which, you know, they don't want to do, but you know, hey, you don't even have to get dressed or, or uh, you could just drink your coffee all day long versus the people that are working like double time and triple time now because that this pandemic requires that absolute heroes. Um, and not in the trite way in which we sometimes throw that term around. Um, and also, you know, the, the people that are just keeping the backbone of our society going, the, the supply chain, uh, the, you know, grocery store workers, uh, the delivery drivers, all of them. So don't want to diminish my gratitude for the role that they're playing in society. But when we talk about specifically about politics, I found myself in the last week um, being relieved and I don't want to say optimistic, Morty. That's not my style. No. Um, somewhat hopeful, <laughs> yeah. but um, but I was very worried that the sort of norm shattering way of going about governance over the past uh, while here, uh, four years to be specific, um, would have a longstanding um, negative in influence on our political systems <laughs> and believe me i still think they will yeah. but the the republic held you know there was the rule of law was upheld repeatedly um by various judges um i saw something yesterday that was like 
I hope that we go back to the time when we refer to a judge as, you know, judge whomever from the Court of Appeals or, or whatever, and not then immediately follow it with an Obama appointee or a Bush appointee or a Trump appointee, because they are supposed to be apolitical, which is exactly why they are lifetime appointments, is that they shouldn't be like, you know, held to the whims of the next election or of their their loyalty to uh, certain parties, you know, and, we, and we've seen over time, you know, Justice Souter from the U.S. Supreme Court appointed by George um, H.W. Bush, they thought that that was going to lock them down, you know, with a conservative court. Well, he ended up not really being a conservative on that court. Um, and uh, to a certain extent, uh, Judge Roberts, uh, Chief Justice uh, John Roberts, has uh, been a swing vote, um, which when George Bush had the opportunity to name, you know, a chief justice, uh, never would have imagined that he was putting yeah. uh, someone on that court that, that, that was going to be um, sort of in the middle in a lot of ways. Don't want to give him too much credit, believe me. Right. But uh, he has been critical in uh, in a lot of things. But when you come to, you know, the, sort of what my thought process is here is you look at a couple of people like uh, the Secretary of State Georgia, um, uh, Brad Raffensperger. So, um, you know, Georgia is fresh off the 2018 controversy um, of Brian Kemp's gu gubernatorial win over Stacey Abrams. And there was a lot of anomalies and this and that. You'll note she conceded the election very quickly afterwards, regardless of any sort of potential legal challenges and things, which as a side note. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, the Secretary of State of Georgia there is a Republican. And in his statements, he said he voted for Trump. His family voted for Trump. He donated to Trump. He's disappointed that Trump didn't win. However, he knows that he has to follow the rule of law and the rule of law is very clear. He has to certify the election results. And so, you know, I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful though for the people that are involved in local and state governments that were able to stand up to an immense amount of pressure. Right. Um, you know, I mean, this is a guy who could have maybe, you know, thrown some shenanigans into the works and God knows what happened. And he could have been highly rewarded um, by many people. I mean, he was, there was a joint statement released by um, the two senatorial candidates uh, in the Republican party from Georgia, Kelly Loeffler and uh, David Perdue demanding that he resign, you know, which is just mind-blowingly insane. But, yeah. and then, and yesterday, I think uh, the news was coming out about how his family has been like, you know, threatened, a family member's house has been broken into, they had to accept, uh, you know, state police sort of security. I mean, this is a guy who truly lived the hardest choice is usually the right choice sort of mentality um, and followed through on it, which we haven't seen a lot from the people uh, on the, the the right in this election. And then, uh, also, you know, there was a, one of the, uh, I think he was in the state board of electors or whomever in Michigan, um, who, you know, the congressional leaders in the state legislature were summoned to the White House to have this conversation with Trump about what they could do. And there was a very real um, reality that the state um, could, you know, split 2-2 two -two on partisan lines and yeah. could continue the uncertainty. But the um, Aaron uh, Van Langeveld, uh, a fine political name, mm -hmm. um, you know, <laughs> went against his own political best interest. I mean, he's going to get backlash from people in his state and his party. Um, but, you know, while the other Republican on that four-person board abstained, he voted to certify the election results, which basically, again, spoke to the notion that there is a rule of law that is followed regardless of what the election or, or regardless of what the circumstances may right. seem to be telling us what to do. Right. And uh, the last one 
or there's, I have two more real quick. I'll just throw at you is, no, um, you know, there was uh, a judge in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Stefanos Bibas, who I believe was a Trump appointee, mm-hmm. which I said I didn't want to point out, but it's important for context here. You know, he was, um, he's the judge on the third district, third circuit uh, court of appeals, who basically rejected Rudy Giuliani's absolutely insane uh, contentions, yeah. uh, pointed out that there was no evidence and that the notion that they should ever consider, you know, like fully rejecting. Um, you know, millions of people's votes without any evidence to do so is crazy. I mean, he, he said, free fair elections are the lifeblood of our democracy. Charges of unfairness are serious, but calling an election unfair doesn't make it so. Charges require specific allegations and then proof, and there's neither of those there. So you yeah. and I talk about this. We're partisans. These are frivolous lawsuits in our view. They're also held to be frivolous by um by these judges that are representing the judiciary, which are our last line of defense, when we start to have to interpret what people are trying to make muddied waters and what they truly mean. And the last one I'm gonna give here, and uh, this I uh, had to add to my list after reading the Washington Post article this morning, which I recommend to everybody who's interested uh, do so. It's just very insightful behind the scene type of thing. Um, But Fox News, who I have a lot of things to say about on this podcast a lot of times, mm-hmm. calling Arizona on election night, standing by that call in spite of immense pressure from the White House. Um, you know, Jerry Kushner called Rupert Murdoch to demand that they retract the call of Arizona. There were people even in more left-leaning media that were like, they really called that too early and uh, I don't agree with it. The AP did as well. Um, but that held up, proved to be true. Those uh, results I think are about to be certified, but uh, all court challenges to that election have uh, been defeated. And so uh, Fox News that night calling Arizona changed the whole trajectory of election night. It prevented Donald Trump from being able to credibly declare victory, even though he tried to at 2.30 in the morning in the complete farce that would sort of foreshadow more things to come. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, the news arm of Fox News, specifically their decision desk, it's reminiscent of Carl Rove losing his mind uh, back in 2012 when right. they, they called, I think it was Ohio, um, yeah. <laughs> for Barack Obama. Um, but, you know, they held strong and uh, it was another sort of aspect of the fourth estate in that case that um, allowed the attempted subversion of the voters' will um, right. to be pushed back. And yeah. so, um, you know, to bring this all big picture wise, Um, the lesson from this, you know, we find these things, we're thankful for them. And what we need to learn from going forward is that norms do not have any teeth of enforcement. And I brought this up many times before, when we get around to a functioning federal government again, at some point, maybe in 2022 or beyond or whatever, um, we have to take seriously codifying the things that are important to the administration and execution of the the power, the immense powers of the federal government to be done, done so under the rule of law. If the House is going to be subpoenaing um, people to get information in their role um, as oversight, um, then those subpoenas need to be enforceable. If if senators are going to be selling off stocks right after briefings that uh, indicate, you know, information that can be financially valuable to them, they need to be held accountable. You know, um, they should not be holding if you're in the U.S. Congress, you should not be holding individual stocks anyway. Um, Anyway, all these sorts of things like ethical reform, but election reform, just the idea that in the future, if a Donald Trump gets elected and if that's the will of the people and Donald Trump type people, you know, get elected president and that's what the system and like leads to, then that's fine. But there needs to be constraints on what happens. There needs to be a rule that after election day, 
even if an election is really close and not fully decided, the GSA needs to start working with both sides in order to ensure whatever the final result is can happen seamlessly. Right. Not just like, oh, it's at the whim of presidents and presidents are always very magnanimous, even in loss, you know? Well, they always are until they're not. And so, yeah. Yeah, um, right. you know, I, I am thankful that, uh, that the rule of law held that we were able to uh, survive um, one of the most serious attacks upon uh, the, the electoral system. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we need to learn from this and move forward when, like I said, I don't have any optimism that we're going to have a functioning government in the near future. But, you know, when we get back to the point when there are the, the likes of the statesmen of the past, the John McCain's, um, the, the old group of blue dogs or whomever that yeah. meet in the middle and come up with compromise in order to make things happen, um, you know, then this is right on the top of the list of what we need to uh, be going for there. Well, uh, well so I there think you go. this is where people miss a lot of these things is that the, the middle is where actually things get done because that's where the compromise happens. And it sucks because a lot of things get thrown out that you want. Um, it's just uh, between my partisan and very, um, intransigent needs to get certain things and views done. The reality of the situation is uh, you have, in order to have a functioning government, you can't rule by uh, one party in this, in a, in a, in a, in a country that is completely uh, as separated as we are. And a lot of that has to do with people identifying more with their states than they do, than they do the actual country, which, didn't you in with their party eventually. yeah and their party and 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 you know you know just a and and this is actually very good stuff that 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 pat was talking about here because just to give a historical context here it took world war ii for people to identify themselves as americans because it, up till then people were very much i'm part of my state and that's something that is very unique to this country is that there the states are de facto little governmental institutions that people like immediately focus on, not necessarily the federal government. World War II changed that when obviously there was a vast mobilization. In the re- in the, since the Reagan came in, people have drifted more back to identifying themselves with states, which has, as we've seen, created some issues with coronavirus response um, and the way that when you need a massive federal response, you get what we got, which is a patchwork of things that aren't compatible with each other and free travel, right? I, I love um, how you called it the Reagan. <laughs> that's that's the Reagan. Word. The Reagan. The Reagan came. The Reagan. The Reagan. Yeah, the Reagan model two thousand. Um, I my thankfulness goes to uh, and and just coming back to something about identifying with the state. I mean, honestly, state of Colorado. And the way we conducted this election this year was a model for every single state in this country. I mean, I know Arizona, or not Arizona, I know that Oregon is the state that really pioneered mail-in balloting. Colorado perfected it in a way that I don't think has, in a model of efficiency that I don't think has really been allotted enough. The vote, the participation, which was somewhere around 89% this year of registered voters, there was everyone who's registered gets a ballot. Uh, it's up to you to send it in. If you don't want to, you don't want to. It is, it is a model of efficiency and voter participation that should be a model for every single state in this country, even the big one. 
because you're ensuring that people vote. And obviously there are elements within our country that don't want that to happen. They benefit from voter suppression, i.e. this is why certain parties love midterm elections because it lets people vote. Um, but if you get more voter participation, then you have all elements of society represented, in my view, which is why Joe Biden gets 80 million votes um, in a, in a, during a pandemic, right? And I think Colorado, and using Colorado as an example, is, I mean, shout out to our state and John Hickenlooper for, uh, for putting in uh, the universal mail-in balloting, which is misleading when you call it that. It's, you can, you have the option to mail it with before a certain time, but you can just, it's easier to just drop uh, at a bot, drop box in, in any one of the very plentiful drop boxes throughout the state, you know, which is another aspect that is wonderful. This, this state really is showing the way of the future, I believe. And I'm hoping beyond hope, you know, fingers crossed that we get to a point where everyone looks at this state and Oregon and says, uh, this is the way we should be doing it. We've made it that much more convenient for you to vote. And it's, it's cheaper. You don't have to pay for a whole bunch of machines that aren't, you know, that could fail on you. It is simple, it is efficient, and it is, it is wonderful. And a shout out to the state of Colorado for getting 89% participation of registered voters. And that is insane. <laughs> And I, yeah, and I think it might have even cre crept up to 90% at the end there, Ooh. which is, you know, unthinkable. Uh, I mean, I remember when states, you know, were getting 46% in presidential elections. Uh, love that, uh, that call out, Morty. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so simple that it's stunning that it isn't more widespread. Um, it, it, I mean, on election night, they called Colorado within like five or 10 minutes of polls closing at seven o'clock right. because so they had record turnout they had 90 percent of eligible voters return their ballots and within a half an hour of polls closing they were able to declare uh the state's electoral votes to joe biden and uh and john hickenlooper um flipping that uh, that seat of cory gardner in the u.s senate race and the other thing about uh colorado is that you can vote in person. You can go on election day uh, to a polling place and vote there, or you can go to that polling place and deliver your ballot if you want. So it enfranchises so many more people. And when you think about that, it's funny how you were talking about how everybody started thinking about the states again, and then you started talking about the states yourself. Yeah. Um, but it's a perfect example of, you know, it, it'd be one thing if the, if the federal government was like, well, how are we going to get all these ballots out to people? Are we gonna have to pay like UPS or FedEx, these private companies? And what if they do this? or they do that? Well, fortunately, we have an apparatus that is part of the federal government, the United States Postal Service, that's proven its value in a variety of ways, right. but that could easily be under the proper leadership and the proper financing and such could easily be mobilized to be the clearinghouse of the process of the election. And it makes so much sense. It is, you know, the, the postal service is enshrined in the constitution um, as are many of our, um, 
you know, voting rights and such. And so why not use those things in order to create a circumstance where we can rebuild the confidence of these elections? I think that, you know, it, it, I, I hope that there are conversations in the, the first term um, of Joe Biden about some sort of 9-11 style commission on election integrity and such. That is an answer to some of the doubts that are being sort of uh, um, speciously spouted by those on the right, but that would create a system where it's like, you know what, across the country, the mail is safe. I mean, the the, the, the buried lead in this election too, uh, Morty, is that there, I mean, a lot of the states deserve credit. There was no major anomalies in voting. Right. There right. were no, there was no foreign influence in this election. Everything went pretty smooth. Now you did have, you know, things with really long lines or, or, you know, some various challenges along the way, but in the scope of things with 160 ish million people casting ballots, um, it's a, you know, it ran remarkably well. And so let's emphasize that let's grow that let's look at what works. I mean, another great thing about federalism is that you have 50 sort of micro opportunities to test run these things so find the best of them you know and implement them and make voting easy and fair and Mm. make the result indisputable and timely and you know regardless of your political affiliation that should be something that we could focus on finding common ground on so excellent choice i'm thankful for that too yeah and and it's like and i did that on purpose kind of segueing from the uh identifying with your state to me talking about Colorado, because it's a, it's, it's, I thought about it myself and I'm thinking I identify more as a Coloradan than I do as a person in the United States. And that, that just like that thought occurred to me as you know, this week. And um, it's, it's amazing to think about how we almost operate as separate countries. Um, or and, and, and within a country, and, uh, and which is by design. It's by design, and uh, in some ways, that's you know, look, it's all the way it's always been. In some ways, it like with the coronavirus response, it is really, really bad, and it it really leaves things up to if up in the air with a national response. You're depending on the federal government to get this mass influx of vaccines, which, by the way who knows how many people are going to take it because there's like moron anti-vaxxers. And then there's, there's the other side, which is the side that you and I are most affiliated with that is like, doesn't trust the vaccine being safe. You may have a situation where the vaccine comes out and people are like not wanting to take it, which is, which yeah, is I don't think, I, I think the conversation is going to change, um, you know, in my, my constant rant about making politics boring again, where uh, the new administration is run by professionals. And those professionals are going to defer to the experts and the experts are going to make their statements. And there are going to be people that reject those things. But uh, I think the vast majority of people are, are, have been harmed by the coronavirus in one way or another. And uh, there are those who think it's a hoax or this or that, but there's also going to be social pressure. There's going to be, you know, uh, I think we, I'm not sure if we talked about it in our music podcast, but things like Ticketmaster, basically having you certify that you've had the vaccine yeah. and that's the only way in which you can use your electronic ticket to attend a, a concert. Um, you know, I also think that there's going to be all kinds of like um, feel goody type corporate America influence, like uh, H&R Block will do your taxes for free with a certificate that you've gotten your vaccine or, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, free frosty at Wendy's with vaccine certificate or whatever, you know, I mean, it's, it'll be a fascinating scene, but, but people, I think, 
like I love selling people short because then I'm never disappointed. But I think that um, there's going to be a universal overriding desire to put this thing behind us and move forward, yeah. you know, and in spite of the anti-vaxxers and things like that, we are wildly successful as a nation in uh, getting children vaccinated for, you know, all of the mumps and, and uh, polio and um, now even chicken pox and, th and things like that. So, you know, I'm going to remain hopeful and, uh, and and hope that you know really the government is able to oversee the administration of the distribution of it to the point where we get you know to a level where next year for these holidays we're you know we're we're blowing records away for travel and and things like that. I think I think we're all hopeful of that. And and you know look my uh, my brother uh, obviously his next appointment if the vaccine is available will be available to him because he is at risk and he's in, in the at most at the most at risk in that, area, well, in that area so and to that point morty there are planes in this country right now that are stacked full of those vaccines right. waiting for that final approval so the bridge between the fda signing off on their efficacy and the administration to those in the greatest need such as your brother is going to be real small and i think that once we start seeing that um, that's going to be a visual, um, you know, not to go too more off the rails here, but part of the reason why it's, we, we spent, you know, we all ached on 9-11 and it became a benchmark point in our life is because we watched it happen. We watched the, the terror, the horror, the loss, the desperation of those family members looking for their loved ones and things like that. And that's se seared into our brain, you know, people of a certain generation here. Um, yeah. but on coronavirus, we didn't see a lot of this stuff, you know, you might see them digging mass graves out in, you know, New Jersey or the freezer trucks parked outside of the hospitals in Brooklyn or in El Paso, okay, so, but that yeah. didn't, that didn't resonate with, with those images. You know, I don't know that I can think of like a, a sure Pulitzer prize winning photograph of the horror that the coronavirus instilled or imparted upon us because, you know, there's pri patient privacy, the hospitals need to be sanitary, even family members couldn't get close to victims as they were, um, you know, approaching their, uh, their most serious uh, health risks. And, and so when we start seeing the vaccine being distributed and lines for it and conversations about how that means that you can reopen your school or that means you can reopen your business or your movie theater or whatever, those are going to be positive images that we start to see and associate with what our government is doing. And uh, that is going to be something I think that buoys us um, out of this and towards that goal where we get to um, the point where this is largely put behind us. Yeah. And I and, and that that is the hope, and I I think I, we 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 both would like to end this podcast on a hopeful note, and that's one of them. You know, it is it is going to be a <clears throat> it's going to be interesting to see how this all pans out, and it's going to be interesting to see how from December mid December when all the vaccines start coming out to midway through next year where a lot of people are vaccinated to see how the thought process of Americans changes, how things maybe stop being so pessimistic. But I think, I just have a feeling it's gonna take a while. I think we're going to need to see this, um, we're gonna to need to see this kind of bake in. Um, I know some people in the uh, concert business and they're, they're, they're fully cognizant of the fact that it may take a long time for people to be comfortable enough to come back, but it's going to get there eventually. 
It's well, consider Morty that for the first time in the last four years, the executive federal response to anything is going to be from a government that represents the majority of Americans. And that is going to be a fundamental shift. And we should talk about it more in, you know, future pods where the difference between having someone in office that won a popular vote mandate or at the very minimum majority um, is a completely different scenario than having like the voice of the aggrieved constantly driving the conversations every day, which oftentimes are sort of manufactured, you know, my minority of us are manufactured grievances by a minority of people are getting elevated, you know? And it's like, every time we see the like, Oh, you know, these articles in the New York times and all that are like, Oh, what do Trump voters say about this and say about that? It's like, it doesn't matter. Right. They're, they can start getting ready for future campaigns and they can continue to try to get, you know, like-minded people involved in uh, winning local elections or, or congressional elections. But the executive response, the people that will be responsible for um, these big picture things um, are going to be people that were voted for by 80 million plus uh, Americans. And that I think is a tone in and of itself that we will be um, happy to reap the benefits of. Right. Uh, one hundred Once again, Pat, you get the last word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, next week, we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll have much, much more to talk about. Um, I don't think there's any notable things that are scheduled to happen this next week. But I think the Electoral College votes on the 10th? 14th. 14th. Okay. December 14th. 14th of December. So a little over a little over two weeks away from that milestone. So uh, as always, uh, Pat and I will be on it, ready to give you analysis and uh, our highly biased takes. <laughs> yeah, hit us up on the Twitter. You know, yes. we have, uh, I'm, uh, I'm at PG Money. PG Money. And uh, I'm, at, I'm at J Morton 78, as you all know. Uh, and Great. By all means, send us comments uh, and give us some, you know, tips on what, what you want us to talk about, too. Um, and argue we, with me. If you all the things you say I'm wrong about, let's uh, I'd love to engage. Right. And, and we're, we're here to uh, satisfy that. And uh, hopefully we can uh, uh, have like, you know, this I, I don't, I'm just appreciative that everyone's listening because you know, it's 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 really cool. And as I said before, you know, until I started running a podcast, no one listened to me. So, um, <laughs> not true. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Take care. <laughs>